The Stanley Cup Finals have been set, and we're turning back the clock to 1970, a year that saw Bobby Orr score the goal for the Bruins. Can they do it again, or will St. Louis finally get the championship that has eluded them for over 50 years? Plus, we break down the interesting offseason in San Jose, a six-year contract for a New York Islander, and DJ Smith's first big-time coaching gig in the NHL. Episode 173 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. And after that, Brett is uh, in a twist of fate going to ask me some trivia questions. Yep. Uh, but we'll get to the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready? I am ready, yes. All right, question 59. Here we go. Who was the first NHL draft pick to be nominated to the Hockey Hall of Fame? First NHL draft pick to be nominated to the Hall of Fame was it A, Brad Park? B, Gilbert Perrault, C, Ken Dryden, or D, Daryl Sittler? Interesting. Um, I don't know. First I feel it. NHL draft pick to be nominated to the Hall of Fame. I'm going to go with Ken Dryden, but I don't know. I don't think that's right. Well, this time your gut didn't fail you. It was Ken Dryden. Oh, nice. Wow. All right. Yeah. yeah there's your answer. Uh, now, uh, yeah. your trivia questions, Brett. I mean, yeah. I'm intrigued now. Yeah, I know. I know you are. Because usually you're the one who comes up with these trivia questions. But yeah. there were two. Well, there was one last week that I forgot to put on the show. And then I realized I never even mentioned it to you. So it's like, all right, what better time to sh- to uh, ask this kind of I could I could phrase it as a fact, but I I think it's more impressive if because I don't think you'll be able to get it if I phrase it as a question. So, um, I was looking at Joe Thornton's career um, because there was some guy on Twitter. I he was like responding to another guy I follow. I forget way back when, but this was last week, um, and he was. On and on about how Joe Thornton shouldn't be celebrated like he is because um, because he I guess he didn't realize that Joe Thornton's actually like a really good player, Um, but like I guess his point was is that like the Blues should be more celebrated than Joe Thornton, who's only famous for um, that like that comment he had after that four goals game or whatever. Um, which is yeah. definitely not true. Um, so I, I, I put up this stat um, just to shut him up. Um, even though he was responding to someone else, I just felt like I had to uh, put, put some uh, uh, defend Joe Thornton's honor here. Um, and I didn't even realize this when I did this because I just screenshotted it and showed it to him. But Joe Thornton is the only active... 
I guess this is, now this isn't a trivia question because you're going to say true or false. <laughs> but whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll save it for the next one. <laughs> Joe Thornton is the only active 1,000, um, the only active player who has 1,000 assists um, in this league right now, which is outstanding for, I guess it makes sense when you think about it, but like Sidney Crosby... Um, you know, is the next closest. How about this? Sidney Crosby is the next closest. Uh, how many, uh, do you, like, do you think, how many assists, is it like, uh, let's go 500, 600, 700, or 900? In the range. So, so we're, we're talking about Thornton and Crosby. Repeat the question. So Joe Thornton has over a thousand assists. Sidney Crosby no. doesn't have that yet. He's the next closest to get that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, does he have? So is it's in a range of, um, five hundred to six hundred, six hundred to seven hundred, seven hundred to eight hundred, or nine hundred to ten uh, to a thousand. And this is Crosby or Thornton we're talking about? This is Crosby. Hmm. <laughs> I would say... Hmm. 600 to 700. No, he's 700 to 800. Okay, I was off by 100, all right. Yeah, he has 770. Joe Thornton... Um, has a thousand six hundred and five or a thousand sixty five. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he, Sidney Crosby is the next closest to him in terms of active leaders. Um, there's also only uh, in history there's only thirteen players who have a thousand or more assists, um, which is impressive, of course. Um, and then my second one, which will lead into our Stanley Cup final preview. Um, cause, uh, there's a lot to talk about that the last time the blues played the Bruins in the, uh, was, or the last time the blues were in the Stanley cup finals was in 1970. Um, this was uh-huh. the famous Bobby Orr goal, um, where he, you know, he lifts the iconic, uh, goal where he flies off the air when he scores. Um, few things uh, here that I learned was that the Blues um, were in the Stanley Cup Finals beforehand. Uh, they lost mm-hmm. twice to the Montreal Canadiens um, in 1969 and 1968. Um, if you don't, guys don't know, uh, back then uh, when the original six expanded or the NHL expanded, uh, the, for some reason they decided to put the original six in one division and then all the expansion teams in another division because there were six teams there and six teams in the east um even they called it the east division versus the west division even though it didn't make any sense at all considering that the expansion teams that were like pittsburgh and philadelphia were in the expansion you know that expansion team uh that division even though, like, they're more East than, like, say, Detroit and Toronto. Anyways, um, 
uh, the Blues made the Stanley Cup Finals uh, kind of just because they were the better team of all the expansion teams, but, you know, but they would always lose. Um, they got swept by the Canadians in 68. They got swept by the Canadians in 69. They also got swept by the Bruins in 1970. Um, now, uh, so Bobby Orr scored that goal uh, to, uh, you know, that famous Bobby Go Orr goal that where he flies in the air. Um, what, uh, be considering that this was a sweep, what, um, was this, was that goal scored in the first period, second period, third period, or OT? Oh, when was that goal scored? Yeah, when was that goal scored? I am going to say overtime. Yeah, I guess that was kind of easy now when I built it up like that. But yes, it was overtime. But I, I don't know. I thought it was like I, I was. About, I was. About, I was. I thought you were gonna ask something like who assisted on the Bobby Orr goal because oh. everyone remembers who scored the goal. Does anyone remember who got the primary assist? I mean that that would have been a better question. I guess you're right. I can try. I can find that out right now. Yeah, actually, or or who was. Or who is the Blues goalie? Because everyone forgets. Yeah, Glenn Hall played for the Hawks. He also played for the Blues in that cup run. Yeah, Glenn Hall was the goalie at that time. Uh, let me see if I can... I don't even know if I can find the who assisted. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Sanderson because I remember yeah. Foster. He was saying Sanderson or and then Bobby Orr and the whole yeah, right. after that. Sanderson was so, the guy who remember, assisted. I can't remember Sanderson's first name, but I believe Sanderson was the guy that gave it to Bobby. Derek Anderson. San, Derek Sanders. Yeah. That was it. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Now I now I wish I had that as a question. Damn it. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of interesting because, like, you knew, like, the Blues, like, all the game one, game two, and game three were blowouts by the Bruins. And then game three was in overtime which I thought, or game four was in overtime, so I thought that was kind of like an interesting thing that not people realized that, no, not like all four games were very, like, were blowouts, like that last one. I mean, I guess it makes sense if Bobby Orr, why would Bobby Orr be celebrating a, like, a goal that, uh, you know, that wasn't close, that was in, like, the first period? It wouldn't make sense, but um, I don't know. I thought that was... Yeah, well, if, if it... If it happened in the final second of regulation, like that can be a pretty. That, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I guess that was. I think he's like, oh, he's. You're either just thinking between the third or the OT or whatever. But I remember in 2003 when the Sens were playing the Devils in the conference finals, and Jeff Friesen scored that goal. And and like one one of the guys I work with, like he works at a sports station, he does updates or whatever. He he said, I I remember that goal, Jeff Friesen overtime. I'm thinking. It wasn't overtime. It was in the final minutes of regulation. But right. that's what those goals feels like. Like, it can yeah. happen in the final minutes of regulation. And it can have the same effect as an overtime dagger. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, uh, let's go back Let's go back uh, to nowadays. So, uh, 40 years later, or about approximately 40 years later. 
Um, like 49 years later. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, isn't it? Yeah, 20, it's almost 50 years, yeah. Almost a half century, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Bruins and the Blues are playing uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals now. The Blues have a better shot than they did back then um, because of all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so now it's it's an interesting thing. We'll, we'll talk about... We have a couple of things to talk about here. We're going to talk about some of the, like, you know, some of the storylines we have here, um, our predictions, some X factors, um, who's our Conn Smythe if the Blues win, who's our Conn Smythe if the Bruins win. Uh, first, we'll talk about um, how they how they stack up. Um, so we'll start with the offensive stuff. Of course, the Bruins have their top line with uh, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, and uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, they've kind of been slacking lately um, in the playoffs, especially against the Blue Jackets. But um, it seems like they have got things going again. Um, what's been more impressive in this run, though, um, has been that the Bruins have been able to get their depth scoring up. Uh, guys like Charlie Coyle has stepped up. He has 12 points. Uh, David Krejci, who's one of the most underrated players in the league, uh, 14 points in 17 games. Um, you know, even Marcus Johansson was another trade deadline guy. Uh, he has nine points. Danon Heinen has had his moments. Uh, he has seven points. So uh, they're getting... Like even which is what you need if you're a good team is the depth to go when when guys like Brad Marchand Pasternak aren't scoring, um, you know you need those guys who can uh, come up big when it matters. Um, even like you know Charlie McAvoy's been great um, when he's been playing. Um, obviously he was suspended that one time, but uh, just from the forward perspective, there's that. St. Louis Blues are kind of have the same thing. Jaden Schwartz, you know, when you think of the Blues, you think of Tarasenko. What's crazy about that is, though, that Tarasenko hasn't really had a great playoffs to his standard or what we think of him. Um, he has 13 points. Uh, Jaden Schwartz has been phenomenal. He has 12 goals. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly has um, 14 points. Uh, David Perron has 13 points. Um, you know, even guys like Oscar Sundquist, uh, Tyler Bozak has been great. Um, even, um, I guess we'll get to defense in a bit, but Braden Shen has been good. Uh, Patrick Maroon, uh, all those guys I just mentioned have seven points. Um, Bozak has 10 points, I should say. Um, but yeah, they, I think the Bruins have the slight edge on forwards, but uh, the Blues don't, that doesn't mean that the Blues don't have a bad forward group, right? Yeah, the, the Blues have a pretty decent forward group. Like, uh, Barbashev, you know, the, the fourth line guys, Sammy Blay as well on defense, yep. uh, Vince Dunn, they, they've, uh, they've played, they, they've played effective roles. They haven't really been the first guys that you notice on the ice that you expect to make an impact, but they've they've got some depth guys you know everyone talks about the Bruins depth and how good the Bruins depth is the Blues depth isn't half bad both on offense and defense they've been able to get the job done yeah defense I was just about to get to that I mean I think for defense I feel like the edge goes to the Blues here 
Uh, Pedrangelo um, has been phenomenal in these playoffs, or has been great in these playoffs. Um, 13 points in 19 games. Uh, Pareko has also stepped it up. It seems like he's been a breakout player here. He might be tougher to beat. Um, you know, he might be tougher to handle uh, for the Bruins. Um, he has 11 points um, in 19 games. 10 of those were assists. Um, and then on the Bruins side, you have um, Krug, who has 12 points in 17 games. And then you have Charlie McAvoy, um, who has 7 points in 16 games. But in terms of, like, you know, I guess the Bruins have Chara. They have, um, uh, what's his face, Brendan Carlo. Um even Connor Clifton has been great. Grizzlick has had his moments. Um, they, you know, those guys, um, you know, take care of the defensive side. You mentioned Vince Dunn just now. Jay Bowmeister, who's like, um, who's been in the league forever, and this is his first Stanley Cup final. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Jay Bowmeister, Robert Bertuzzo. I think the the Blues have a better defensive squad than the Bruins do here. Um, yeah, I would, I would give the edge to the Blues here. Uh, just because, not that the Bruins are bad again, but um, Pareko and, and Pedrangelo are one of the better defensemen in the league. Like, at least top 50. Um, whereas I feel like uh, the Bruins just have Tory Krug and Charlie McAvoy. Um handling everything um would you agree with that yeah uh, well it goes to the saying that i'm cheering for the blues um because after washington went it last year and watching everyone burst into cheers of joy i want the blues faithful to experience that feeling yep. they've been through a lot and it would be great for the game of hockey as well um on paper i would expect the bruins because their power play has been so lethal in these playoffs and yep. we all know how good Duke rask has been in these playoffs the same time, though, they haven't faced a defense like this in the playoffs yet. But Trangelo, Jay Bomister, Pareko present a big challenge for these Bruins. Jordan Bennington has rose to the occasion several times. He's always had an answer when his opponent is able to expose him the previous night. I think the Blues are going to win in seven games. Um, I think they'll be pushed to the edge, but that thirst of winning the Cup is going to be too great for the Bruins to handle. Because as much as the Bruins want to win it just as bad, everyone on that Blues team is just as hungry as the city itself. Ryan O'Reilly never won a Stanley Cup. Yep. Alex Steen never won a Stanley Cup. Tyler Bozak never won a Stanley Cup. Signed with the Blues to win a Stanley Cup. Jay Bomaster never won a Stanley Cup. They remind me a lot of what Washington was like in 2018. Never won before. Plenty of motivation to win. Entire city behind them. This is their time. But they will write their own grave if Boston dominates them on the power play. I think in every series, discipline is always key. But with that Bruins special teams, especially, they need to be disciplined because we all saw how Carolina fared whenever Boston went on the power play. And I'm sure, regardless of how good Jordan Bennington is, they can find a way to expose him if you give them enough chances with the extra man. Yep. Um, and I think keeping composure is also going to be key for the Blues because we also saw how that hurt Carolina in the conference finals. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess that 
that that rings true. I get you're a little bit ahead of us, but that's okay. Um, yeah, no, I I think um, I think the the Blues are going to be the toughest opponent the Bruins have faced um, in these playoffs. I guess the Maple Leafs did give them a tough round there, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Blues are like this is one of those series that I can see. Um, it going either way, if it's like Blues and four, Blues and five, Blues and six, Blues and seven, or Bruins and four, Bruins and five, Bruins and six, or Bruins and seven. So <laughs> any of the any of those combinations, I could see happening. But um, yeah, no, it's something like that. I was just about to go over the goalies and comparing them. Um, yeah, I think the Bruins have a better forward group, but the Blues have a better defensive group going. Um, but and then um, it all comes down to the goaltending here. Um, and they both Bennington and Rask have been phenomenal here. Um, uh, Jordan Jordan Bennington has, uh, you know, he is a rookie, but he doesn't seem like it in these playoffs. Um, even in, in the regular season, he doesn't seem like it. Uh, he's 12 and 7. Uh, he has a 2.36 GAA and a save percentage of 914. Um, and then uh, Tuka Rask has, is 12 and 5 with a 1.84 GAA and a save percentage of 9.42. So he's been out of this world. Um, and I feel like this is where um, this is the difference here is if Tuka Rask can play like he's been playing the last two months, um, the Bruins are winning this easily. Um, and if Tuka Rask, it's all on Tuka Rask's shoulders here. And if, if it's not, um, then it's going to be Jordan Bennington's time and, um, and you know, the blues are, are going to win because they have the forward group. They have the defense to get it done and, uh, give the Bruins problems. Um, but Tuka Rask has to continue to be, um, still really good. Um, and because Jordan Bennington's also been on fire as well, I feel like uh, he has, to, you know, all these games are going to be pretty much low scoring or very close games, uh, just because both goalies seem to be on their game. Um, what does give me a little bit of, like, which should be interesting or a bit of a storyline here, um, is that... Um, well, one, that, like, the Blues won last week um, on Wednesday. So they've had a bit of, or they won on Tuesday. Um, so they have about six days um, when the game starts on Monday. Um, and then the Bruins have had, like, 11 days um, till they last played Um and they, you know, so the freshness, uh, and that, I mean, it, like, I feel like players can get used to, um, you know, uh, can shake off rust fairly easily, but it's a little bit harder for goaltenders to shake off rust, I feel like. Um, so, um, so the thing is, is like, you know, Tuga Rest has been resting for 11 days now. Rest is good, obviously, but it's still, um, you know, we don't know how, if he's going to continue being this good um, late in the season or, you know, 
right now. And I feel like that's that's really what it's going to come down to is if Tuka Rask can maintain this hot streak while he's you know while he's eleven games or eleven days not playing as much. Yeah, I think the rest is definitely going to help guys like Zdeno Chera, the, yep. the young, uh, the, the the veterans um, like Chera that really need the time off, that really need the rest. Uh, the guys that were banged up um, at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, um, I think the rest definitely helps them. But you're right about Tuka Rask. Um, you know, if if you get if you get under his drill early, you know, maybe maybe you catch him in a bad time and. Uh, and maybe the Blues manufacture something out of that. And like you know, even if even if Tukaras you know gets his game going, um, you know by game three, if the Bruins are down nothing, they're already in a pretty bad spot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. So you have Blues in seven. Um, I have the Bruins in six. Um, of course you do. You're a Bruins yeah, I know. I, I, I feel like I would be a bad fan if I said the blue, if I picked <laughs> the blues here, but, um, no, I, I mean, I do think the blues will give the Bruins a run for money, their money, but when it comes down to it, I think the Bruins have, are the better team. Um, they've won, they've gone this far in less games. Um, we still don't know. I mean, like, Jordan Bennington's been incredible. It's hard to really doubt him now. But, again, he's still inexperienced. So it's tough to, like, you know, he could falter. Like, he faltered in game one against the Sharks. So, um, you know, there there is, like, there's definitely some holes in Jordan Bennington's game. Not to mention, speaking of which, um, there's some uh, last year... Uh, Jordan Bennington actually played for the Providence Bruins. I guess there was some complication where, like, the Las Vegas Golden Knights were uh, took a, like took the Blues minor league team, and then the Blues asked like different teams for you know to put to put their players on loan. Um, so Jordan Bennington was on the Providence Bruins for a time, even though he was. He was on the Blues roster. Um, And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Bruce Cassidy was the coach um, for a time there when Jordan Bennington was in Providence. So um, I assume things have changed where, like, Bennington's obviously a different goalie than he was back in Providence. But there is, like, the there may have been some kind of like you know Cassidy may have been like oh I know what his weaknesses are because they had more time with like what they what he was like during practice. See, I I don't think that's completely accurate because you said last year that was 2017-18 Cassidy took over the Bruins in the midway through the 2016-17 season so I don't think he was coaching Providence. I mean, I, I did. I did see that. I think uh, Bruce Cassidy said that he had coached Jordan Bennington. Oh, really? Okay. Um, well, but I, yeah. I do oh, there, agree there with you. The timeline doesn't make sense. No. Let me see here. Okay. I remember he was asked. Cassidy was asked about uh, Jordan Bennington in his time. Uh, just a quick look here. 
I'm I, I I'm I'm pretty sure like like every single coach, you know, they watch video and you know they they pick apart the the goaltender's game and find weaknesses in their game and yeah. maybe how they can exploit that as a team, but. Yeah, I mean, I I guess this is all to say is I'm not sure if it's like a, it's gonna be a big thing or a big difference about it, but um, like even if you know, I think it. Yeah, let me check here. Um, my, my coach, my minor league coach, you you would you would always just say if you don't know who the heck you're facing in, at the other team's net, just throw the puck on net, get traffic in front of the net. That's that's the easiest way to to try and score in a guy you've never really faced before. You don't yeah. know what to expect. You don't know what his weaknesses are. Just throw the puck on net. Get in front of the net so he can't see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I guess uh, yeah, Cassidy did coach him in Providence, but you're right. The timeline doesn't make sense really. Oh, okay. Um. So I, I don't. I guess I'd have to. I'll, it's something that I'll have to look at. But um, I thought there was definitely something where they they. Uh, Cassidy was the coach in Providence when Bennington was there. But anyways, um, but yeah, no, I, I don't even think there really is going to be that much of an advantage because um, it's like um, you're not, you know, first off, Bennington has changed so much since he was in Providence um, that, you know, he definitely like worked on his game uh, to get to where he's at right now. Um you know, because what Bennington's pretty much been like, uh, kind of a revelation here, because he, you know, like he changed the season for the Blues, where he, you know, in the, um, I remember in January thirty first, the Blues were dead last, and then they just put Bennington in net, um, and all of a sudden they started going, um, but. Uh, you know, Berube was on the hot seat. Tarasenko, Pareko were on the trade block, supposedly. Um, so, like, all the Blues were, like, you know, there was definitely, you know, the Blues were almost uh, one of the worst teams in the league, or they were the worst team in the league. And then they had an incredible uh, second half of the year, um, the season, and then they got going. But, like, so Bennington was one of the main reasons why they were able to do that. Um, so it seems like he was, and Bennington wasn't really heard of before this season um, started. Um, so he was able to, you know, fix what needed to be fixed there. So, um, and you know, every team has tape on him. Um, I guess the only difference here is that, Prov like, you know, since he played for Providence, they have tape on him when he was in practice so they have a little bit more practice but again as i just mentioned bennington probably changed his game a bit um to what it is now um other other narrative stuff that we can talk about here uh it's going to be david backus's return to st louis um which i find kind of a little bit interesting because you know when he was in st louis he was their captain he was one of their better players um, and now on the Bruins, he's on the third line, fourth line. Sometimes he's healthy scratched here. But it would be, like, interesting if, like, Boston wins. Like, I, I just don't know how I would feel if I was, like, a St. Louis fan. Because it's like, it, you know, you're probably happy about Backus getting his cup. But then you're not, you know, 
but you he he beat he had to beat his former team to do that that he's more recognized with and uh where he played his prime with or most of his career with um so there's that and then as St. Louis wins it's like well they won but then you know Bacchus is losing um so you know you can reverse it that way so that's that's going to be an interesting narrative that way um, even though Bacchus isn't what he used to be, he's still an effective third-line player, fourth-line player, um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But that's that's a narrative that I'm sure a lot of media members are going to talk about. And then lastly, uh, Patrick Maroon was asked about Brad Marchand, because, of course, Brad Marchand is like a lightning rod um, for these kind of things. Um, Maroon says... Uh, we talked about this off the air um, briefly, but Brad is a guy you've just got to leave alone. Don't even look at him. As a player like me, when guys are engaged, I'm more engaged. If guys are talking and trying to get under my skin, I'm more effective because you feel like you're doing your job. So I think a guy like Brad that plays better when guys are engaged to him, I think he's more effective that way. So for us, we talked just leave him alone. Let him be Marshawn. He's unbelievable. He's the leader of that group. So we've just got to leave him alone. Um, this is a this is one of those things where, like on paper, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you don't want Marshawn to, you know, just ignore Marshawn and focus on your own stuff. Um, but that's harder said than done, um, because Marshawn's one of the better pest of all time or at least in this league current league right now um versus um you know and even if you do leave him alone you know he's a really good player so it's like (laughs) it may not be effective or may not be effective in the other way where you know you let him not you know you don't even defend him properly um, but it is an interesting thing because, like, Carolina, especially Justin Williams, uh, let Marshawn get to him. Uh, there's a lot of players in the past that, you know, uh, that Brad Marshawn is able to get under their skin. Um, but if you can, like, just lower that the amount of times that Brad Marshawn can not annoy you, then, yeah, you have a good chance of, beating the Bruins because Brad Marchand is not um, on his game. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny where it's just like, yeah, just let him do what he wants, you know. Yeah. Just leave him be. Yeah. I, 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 think the, I, I think they're going to need to be wise on how they approach him, that's for sure. they they got to shut him down. Like, yeah. He's too good of a player. Whenever he starts to instigate, they can't play into his antics. They can't stoop to his level. They can't get sucked in that garbage. They just need to play their game, dictate the pace, don't fall into Boston's trap. And I think above all, Craig Berube's bones just need to stay confident. They need to just embrace the moment because the Bruins know what it takes. A lot of their core players have been in this position a few times. They know what to expect in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think the Blues just need to play without fear. Enjoy this opportunity, but at the same time, remain focused. And I think if they lose sight of their goal, they're in trouble. If they get sucked into Brad Marchand's game, they're in trouble. Um, um, I, I definitely think they can't play into his antics. Patrick Maroon is 
but but leaving him alone like either way uh, regardless of what you think about Brad Marchand the dude was one of five or six players to get 100 points this year yeah you can't just leave those guys alone yeah it's one of those things that I don't know if like maybe he means leave him alone like don't get irritated by him yeah, not like don't forget to defend him and leave him alone but yeah no that that's it was an interesting quote just from that perspective because it's like yeah a lot of teams do have to deal with what do they do with Marshawn because he is an annoying person um when he's not on your team um but you have to you know and that's a part of his game um what I found interesting too is that Patrick Maroon said that He's the leader of the group, which is kind of interesting because when you think like when most people think of the Bruins, they think the leader is Chara because he's the captain. And then you think of like Bergeron, even Krejci to some extent. You don't really think of Marshawn as like a leader of the group. But at the same time, you're like he kind of is in a way because he is kind of a life force. Um to that end when he's not on a game the Bruins aren't as good of a team um and and that that I found kind of interesting that I guess Maroon feels that Marshawn is actually like more of a you know a uh he's the energy guy on the team which I found kind of interesting an interesting insight in that sense yeah, I, I, I also feel like if, if the Blues, when it comes to the Blues, and if, if you know they're doing a good job, mm-hmm. if you could get a guy like Bergeron pissed off, because, uh, because Patrice Bergeron is a calm, cool, collected competitor, you don't really see him get mad all that often. If, if, you, get, if you get under his skin, yeah. then I think Boston really has to think, oh boy, we're in for it now. Right, right. Because Bergeron never gets mad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. Anyway, um, we, we, we said we were going to go through some X factors and consummate the predictions, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I was just going through all the different narrative stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's do X factors and consummate. Um, I don't know if you have anything else, but I guess we can get that under the way. Um. X factors. Um, uh, okay, I feel like I've been talking too much. Do you have? Uh, let's do. Uh, who's your X factors for? Uh, for let's do both teams here. Um, for either. Uh, I got. I got one for. I got one for the Blues. One for the Bruins. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll start with the Bruins. I would say Jake DeBrusque is my X factor. Okay. Uh, not afraid to drive to the net. A few regular season goals shy of thirty. The offensive potential is certainly there. Um, haven't seen it as much in the playoffs, though. Just seven points in 17 games during this playoff run. Yeah, he's been quiet. Including sure. just three goals on 50 shots in this playoffs. Uh, you, you, were, you were saying something? You had a point there? Oh, no, I was just saying that he's... I was agreeing with you. He's He's been quiet. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like like I said, like in the regular season, he was pretty effective. Like his shooting percentage was over 17%. Mm. But like I said, three goals scored on 50 shots this postseason, down to 6%. If he gets going, that's another threat for the Blues con- uh, to contain and a- another option for the Bruins to work with. And like I said before, the Bruins' depth is one of their strengths. So if they can get Jake DeBrus going, then, then that's certainly good for them. 
For the Blues, it hands down has to be Patrick Maroon. Because we all know how good Tuka Rask has played in these playoffs and just how dominating he can be when he's on his game. But we all know what Tuka Rask is like when he gets pissed. Yeah. Like, when he gets pissed off, he, he's, he can throw milk curtains on the ice. He's done it before. Yeah. True. Um, I think Patrick Maroon has to walk that fine line where he's stirring the pot, but not crossing the line and putting his team in trouble. Um, Dubois tried to stir it up a little bit in round two with Tuka Rask, but Tuka just smirked at him and was just like, yeah, whatever. Do it, do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I think no one has really made Rask's life uncomfortable in these playoffs. Patrick Maroon has got to be that guy. He needs to park himself in front of the net, go out there, drive to the net. If he can score a key goal or two, that's great. But one thing he needs to do well is force Rask to play out of his comfort zone. Because when you do that, it opens up opportunities for everyone else on that Blues team to do some damage, which then spells danger for the Boston Bruins as a team when Tuka Rask is not playing well. So I think if I'm the if I'm a St. Louis Blues fan, I'm hoping Patrick Maroon has a monster series. Yeah, that's a that's a good choice. Um, I was thinking, well, first off, I guess there's a couple on the Blues that I was thinking would fit this bill. Uh, one is Braden Shen. Yeah. He hasn't really uh gone off in these playoffs but again he's like um he's been he's on their top he's like their top line center um he i guess i don't know if you would consider him a a true x factor just because he is the top line center but um he is a really good player that should be um something that the bruins should uh take seriously because, you know, like, the Bruin, the Blues have guys like Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. Jaden Schwartz has been great. But, you know, Braden Shen... Shen is one of those guys yeah. that just flies under the radar. Exactly. And then another one of those guys as well is uh, David Perron, um, who also mm-hmm. flies yeah. under the radar, too. Um, he has uh, he has 13 points. He's doing better than Braden Shen has. But um, I, I, w- I think... Uh, those two players should be X factors where the Bruins should be like, okay, the, the like, yeah, we should handle Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly and, and of course Schwartz, but, um, those other guys, uh, should also be defended well against as well. Um, and then in terms of the Bruins, um, I was going to go with Marcus Johansson. Um, He's been, uh, you know, he got injured when the Bruins acquired him shortly after the, the Bruins acquired him. So we didn't really see him a ton in the regular season. But during these playoffs, he's been, uh, he's been great for them, um, for the Bruins. Uh, he has nine points in 15 games. There's a couple of times where he had multi points um, in, in a couple of games. Um, it seems like, I mean, I talked about this early on in the show, but when like Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron aren't playing as well, Marcus Johansson was like, like the best player on the on the Bruins. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think he he's going to be an X factor there. Same with Charlie Coyle. Um, you know, it's, it's like the same thing when Ma- Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron aren't playing the way that they should they're we're used to playing seeing them play charlie coyle steps up in um and does that um which could could come into handy if 
they like the Blues do it manage to ignore Brad Marchand uh, somehow. Um, and then also David Krejci, I, I feel like that deserves a shout out, but I feel like I'm giving too many X factors here, so I'll, I'll, I'll go down there. Uh, let's do Con Smythe. Um, yeah, I guess if the Bruins win, I think that's no question Tuka Rask. Um, he's been phenomenal. Uh, like, I mean, I guess if you're going to give it to a player, I guess you would give it to Marshawn, just because he has the most points on the team. But um, I feel like uh, Tuka Rask is the key to uh, the Bruins winning this cup. If he can, if he can win this cup, if the Bruins win the cup, it's going to be Tuka Rask had a hell of a series. Um, and if it's, you know, if the blue, if the Bruins lose. It's going to be, like, everyone else's fault. Because Tuka Rask has been the main reason the Bruins have gone this far in these playoffs so far. Um, but, uh, yeah, so if the Bruins win there, I guess I'll, I'll say if the Blue if the Blues win, I could see Tuka Rask getting it, um, again, if, even if the Blues win. But, um, but even if... Tuka if if it's not Tuka Rask, I'll say it's Jaden Schwartz. Um, he's had twelve goals. Um, he's been great. I guess the only reason why he he might lose that is if you know he doesn't score at all in these playoffs. Okay. Um, but I feel like if that's gonna happen, then you know then the Blues aren't gonna win. Um, so I feel like that would be a big key to them if Jaden Schwartz continues. Um, his his mark um in these playoffs yeah uh for the bruins you're right it's it's too carrasque i don't have a second option it's yeah. it's too carrasque 100 i mean uh serious clinching games he's been clutch um in that first round against toronto he helped the bruins avoid elimination twice um he's had some monster periods of hockey that really kept the bruins within striking distance and on a cup on a couple of those, if not all of them, of the Bruins ended up winning that game because Rask was able to hold the fort um, in that Eastern Conference Final, only gave up five goals in four games as well. Um, there's a lot of other big stats I can mention, but I'm probably going to wait until the series is over to mention them. But he's made a lot of people in Boston really second-guess their opinions of him. I think people in Boston that have doubted Tuka Rask think about him a lot differently. Yep. Like he's he's had some big postseasons before. Don't get me wrong, but none were as big and as instrumental to the Bruins' playoff success than this year. Yep. And to me, it starts and ends with Tuukka Rask. Just like just like David Price with the Red Sox um, this past October, everyone was just knocking, "Oh, he can't win the playoffs yet." Right. Yada, yada. And he plays a big role in that World Series team. It's been the same with Tuukka Rask and the Bruins this year. I will say though, I think he has very similar numbers to what he had in 2013. But yes, it's uh, it seems mm -hmm. like it's more noticeable now, just because the guys like Michael Felger and Joe Haggerty have been uh, tooting this horn for a while that uh, that Tuukka Rask is not a clutch player. But uh, yeah, he uh, he's been phenomenal so far. Mm -hmm. And then, what if the Blues win? Yeah, for the Blues, actually have two candidates. One of them is Jordan Bennington. Okay. Like I said, he's That's a good been one. composed after games, especially where he gets riled by the opposition. Um, there was that game against Dallas where he looked pretty frazzled. I think it was game four or five, and he was able uh, to stay calm and composed there. 
There was that controversial OT loss in game three against San Jose. He bounces back, uh, ends up stopping, I believe, 75 of the next 77 shots he faces in the final three games. Uh, gives up one goal, no goals at all, and then one goal in those three games. Um, just absolutely incredible how he's able to just stay calm, cool. The moment doesn't phase him, and when he gets beat, he puts that behind him, goes back to work the next day, and helps his team. So when you look at most valuable players, you look at guys that, you know, after a bad day are able to put it behind them and go out there and, and play their best game. Um, and Jordan Bennington has quietly done that. He's walked softly, but carries a big hockey stick, so to speak. Yep. Um, my other candidate is Jaden Schwartz. Um, he's had more goals in this postseason than the entire regular season. Uh, already at 12 goals in 19 playoff games, had 11 and 69 regular season games this year. Um, and whenever he scored, it seemed to be in key circumstances. His first hat trick gave the Blues a 4-2 series win over the Jets. Um, he got two points to force a game seven against Dallas, which the Blues eventually won in that double OT game. And then hat trick in game five versus San Jose gave the Blues a 3-2 series lead. So whenever he scored in bunches, it's always been in big moments for the Blues. Um, so I would say if it's not Bennington, it's definitely Jaden Schwartz, but I certainly wouldn't rule out Jordan Bennington at the Blues one here because he's been just as crucial to their success as Jaden Schwartz has been. Yeah, I guess, uh, Bennington is a good option here. For some reason, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, no, Bennington would be a good option. I would give it to Schwartz more than Bennington just because he yeah. doesn't have the save percentage or goals against average. Um, but yeah, um, that's not I, a bad I option. He, I think if he scores four or five goals in this series alone, it's hands down Gene Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Um, all right, uh, we're going to go to the Sharks, but unless, do you have any more comments about this uh, preview? Or the no, let's conference? dissect uh, probably the most interesting case in the Western Conference, not named the Winnipeg Jets. All right. Um. Well, I don't know. I think they're more interesting than the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, right. They probably are, yeah. <laughs> the San Jose Sharks, because there's, there's a couple of things in, in mind here. Uh, the San Jose Sharks are, uh, yeah, so they got eliminated last week on Tuesday. Um, they, uh, most for the most part, it was because I th feel like it was, um, once we heard that, uh, both Thomas Hurdle and Eric Carlson were both injured, um, they were, um, like, the Sharks were still a good team, but it felt like that was it for the, for the Sharks there, um, and they, uh, couldn't go on. Uh, the, the, the there are two big players, uh, that pro, uh, that aren't, that might, well, one may not be on the team anymore. Um, and then the other one will be, um, or may not. I mean, I guess one already said that he's, uh, anyways, I, I, I'm, I can't speak for some reason. Joe, let's start with Joe Thornton. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's just go here. Uh, Joe Thornton, he, um, well, first off, let's go with all the UFAs here. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot of them. Junis Donskoy. Michael Haley, Joe Pavelski, of course, uh, Joe Thornton, and Gustav Nyquist. 
as well as Eric Carlson and Tim Heed. Um, Joe, uh, Joe Thornton's going to be the interesting one because he's 39 years old. He always takes these one-year contracts. I think he said that he's he's either going to, like, if he's going to retire, he's going to retire. But uh, sometimes, but if he's going to sign or if he's going to play again, he's going to sign a one-year contract. Um and because uh, he's done this the last two years um, and he's going to sign it with the Sharks. So it's it's really, is he going to play another year or is he, if he's going to retire? Um, he's still, he's still, he still has some stuff left in him. Obviously, he's not the same guy he was 10 years ago, but um, I would like to, I would obviously like to see him have a go at it again. Um, but it will be interesting to see, um, if he will be able to do that. Um, and then, um, yeah. So do you think Joe Thornton's going to retire? That is a tough question, um, to answer. I don't even think he knows yet. Um, I think it's something that he's probably going to take the next couple of months to decide. Um, and I think maybe what the Sharks do in free agency could play into that discussion. The one yep. thing that Joe Thornton has said is he's not leaving the Sharks. He's a Shark for life. Right. He'll always be a Shark. So if he comes back, we know where he's playing. It's just a matter of, is he going to retire or not? Right. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back and takes a hometown discount to kind of make this thing work and keep the band together. But, of course, it all depends on what everyone else decides to do. But it, I, I think my guess is... It, uh, I'm not going to put a solid wager on this. I'm not a betting man by any means. And we all know that I suck at predictions. So I'm going to say 60% chance he plays next year. But I think as we get deeper into his career, um, I think there's going to come to a point in time where he says, you know, even if there's a realistic shot, like, I, I think it I think it all comes down to how his body is feeling overall. Like this year this year he proved that he still got it. Yep. He proved it a hundred percent. It wasn't like, you know, he, he suffered like a, a season ending injury, oh, you know, maybe this is the last right. time, you know, maybe he's just not there health wise. He he was healthy and he produced. Yeah, no, that's true. He could he could still be a key player for this team. So I think it's just a matter of how his body is feeling what he's feeling in general, if it's time mentally or not to walk away. Um, but I think 60% chance he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think you, you do. Wasn't he injured for part of the season? I feel like he was. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be up to him. If he, if he retires, he's a first ballot hall of famer. Um, but it, it's just sad that he never got a, a Stanley Cup. Um, but um, if he doesn't, then, you know, um, if he stays with the Sharks, then he's, um, you know, they they could uh, they could learn from him um, and use his experience and stuff like that. Because uh, he still has some left in his tank, so we'll see about that. Uh, Eric Carlson is the bigger one, which I guess we should have started off with, but... Uh, he tweeted yesterday, um, this was Saturday, um, he tweeted yesterday, thank you to the entire San Jose Shark organization fans and especially teammates. It was a great run that ended too early, but lots of great memories where 
were where were created. Um, he says where instead of were, so that, yeah. that that fooled me there. The entire Bay Area has been nothing but classy and respectful to me and my family. Thank you. Um, so it's not official yet, but it, this uh, implies obviously that uh, he's not going to resign with the San Jose Sharks. Um, I, we already differ on this because we talked about this off air. Um, I I'm I'm a little bit hesitant on Eric Carlson or teams signing long term with him. Is he worth ten million dollars uh, for eight years? Is he worth ten million? Yes. Um, is he or or ten ten or more million dollars? Yes, he is. Um, but I'd be worried just given his injury history the last two years, how it seems like his like his ankles are like old now. Um, he's only twenty eight, so you know I I I just worry about it. any team that signs him long term. Um, but if it's a five year deal for a, a lot of money, then I'm okay with it. Um, I think it's like if it's like anything less than. Um, but like still like Eric Carlson's pretty good, even when he is like not a hundred percent, um, which is impressive to imagine what he is when he's a hundred percent. It's just, I'm worried about his injury history. And I think that's, that might, uh, turn teams away, um, to even consider having him on their team. Yeah, they definitely have to be careful in the money in the term. No question, if he's at full strength and he's playing like Eric Carlson, he's 100% worth 8 by 10 100%. Yeah. Not even thinking about it. But... I guess it would be 7 by 10 but yeah. Here's why I'm kind of hesitant, though, as well, to say, oh, he's, he's done with the Sharks. Um, you, you look at... I guess it all depends on what he wants, but if, if he wants to get paid and be on a winning team, he's, he's in a good place. The character to win was there. The the desire to win was there. The speed, the character, the skill, the, 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 the talent, it was all there. The morale in the dressing room, it was all there. The belief in one another, in the team, it was all there. The depth was there. Um, they're going to have cap issues, of course, You know, trying to keep everyone on board. Um, but when you look at... Of what they did when they were behind in a series or tied in a series, they had ten. They had a ten and four record in the next game. Right. Um. And 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 it honestly felt like this year was going to be different than previous years. And there were times in that series against the Blues where it looked like they had the Blues on the ropes and they let the opportunity slip away. Most importantly, in Game Four after that controversial overtime win, like that was that was a game where the Sharks needed to bury the blues and they couldn't do it but when you look aside from that when you look aside from their performances in games four and games five and game six the sharks still have a pretty bright future ahead of them they have a lot of talent there so when when you look at the sharks on paper and you look at all of the other contending teams that maybe could afford Eric Carlson, the amount of other teams that could afford Eric Carlson that are in a position to win the cup, they're few. They're few and far between. And if they go out there and afford Eric Carlson, they're going to have to make some room on the cap somehow. Yeah. Looking at you, Tampa Bay. Well, I was about to say, Tampa Bay is the front runner for getting Eric Carlson. Um, yeah. There's supposedly, uh, that's where he wants to go. His uh, buddy, Victor Hedman, is on that team. Um, 
they would be a juggernaut, obviously, if they weren't already, um, if if they were able to uh, get him on the team. Um, the other the other interesting option was the New York Rangers, um, which I think you said was would be a spit in the face of Ottawa if he were to sign with the New York Rangers that time. Yes. However, it'd be like, oh, I want to be a part of this rebuild. Right, right. However, I will say though that I, I mean, the New York Rangers, like, yeah, the Senators and the Rangers are both rebuilding teams, but. I will say though that if the Rangers like the Rangers aren't that terrible of a team, even though they are rebuilding, uh, so like they're gonna get Capo Caco, who's been phenomenal in these worlds, or maybe they'll get Jack Hughes, whichever one. Um, that's gonna be that, that's gonna be a big help to them. They have he's gonna be reunited with Mika Sabinajad, um, and. Um, and they also have uh, what was the other guy uh, who I was going to mention? I, I had another point, but it's not like they're terrible. Oh, Elias uh, Anderson is a Swedish player. Um, maybe he wants to, you know, help out there. Uh, and, and of course, Henrik Lundqvist. How could I forget about that? But um, those were like the, the two have main guys teams. Like Georgiev, you have guys like Shajorkin, yeah. Kravtsov coming up the the ranks too. Right, right. Those guys, uh, Philip Hedl as well. Um, yep. so, so they're, they're not like in bad shape. And if they get Eric Carlson, that's like the Rangers are no longer in rebuild mode. They're like, okay, we're, we're actually contending here. Um, yeah, that'd be so Rangers if it's just like, yeah, yeah. we know we're in a rebuild, but we're going to sign Eric Carlson just cause we feel like it. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. That would, that'd be very, uh, especially like the, the Rick Nash signing. There was a, Eric Stahl a couple of years ago. That's true. Um, It'd be very Rangers if they just suddenly are in on every free agent. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, so no, I think... Getting, yeah, just, just to get to Carlson, my final point. Yeah, um, sorry. So those are two things that Eric Carlson should consider, the talents of the roster and the morale of the roster as well. Right. Um, so I don't think this is a breakup tweet. I think this is more him... Being wise to test the open market, see what his value is. He could always turn around and sign with the Sharks for seven years. Um, but Doug Wilson has to ask himself who who he can afford to keep. And I'll and I'll tie that in when we talk about Pavelski because yep. Carlson and Pavelski are intertwined in some way. So I'll let you continue your point. Sorry. No, no, no. You, I mean, I, I should have let you <laughs> continue no, on. Um, no, that is a good point. As for if he's going to stay on, I mean, I guess you're right. This isn't like... Like, he's saying, like, I'm done with this team or something like that. But um, just the fact that he tweeted this out publicly made it seem like he said thank you to the entire Sharks organization. Like, I had fun. Um, but uh, it kind of, like, implies that he's going to test the free agency market. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if, like, you, you're right. It's not like he told, he, we don't know if he told the, Doug Wilson, like, hey, I'm I'm going to... Like, no matter what you do, I'm going to test free agency. Um, but uh, but I, I don't know. I, I think, like, even, like, this year, it seems like Brent Burns is the guy there. And maybe Eric Carlson wants to be the guy on a team. I remember I saw, like, reports that his wife isn't, uh, like, Mrs. Ottawa um, and Mrs., or just Mrs. Canada or just doesn't necessarily love the Bay Area. Um 
So maybe that has something to do with it. Just they're, you know, they're not happy there. But um, if he signs with the Leafs, so help me God. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that, but well, I mean, they couldn't. The Leafs it, couldn't. You don't have to worry about the Leafs couldn't even afford it. If he signs know. with Winnipeg, I'm all for that. I'm yeah, for I would be. I'd be. I'd be okay with that. Um, I don't think he's going to the Leafs. They would not be able to afford him, but. Uh, just from their cap issues, unless they like dump like Willie Nylander and some other guy, some other big time player. You never know. There's still time. I guess there is, but uh, it's it seems unlikely. Is my point. Anyways, there there are probably going to be a lot of moves made. Yeah. Um, that because of this free agent class, you know, there are going to be a lot of moves made to like free up cap space, and we're yeah. thinking, oh, are they making moves for this guy or this guy? Maybe Panarin, this guy. yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be this, this. Once this Stanley Cup is over, yeah. the next couple of months, I said once I'll say it again. The next couple of months are gonna be absolutely on drugs, and it's yeah. gonna be so enjoyable. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then uh, we have here, yeah. So then that leads us to the San Jose Sharks. Uh, uh, just in general, the so of course we have Eric Carlson, we have Joe Thornton. Um, Joe Pavelski is a UFA as well. Um, you know, the, the Sharks still have Thomas Hurdle. They have Logan Couture, Vander Kane locked up relatively long-term. Um, Martin Jones still there long-term. Brent Burns, Mark, Mark Edward Vlasic is also there long-term. But more or less, the Sharks kind of are going to be starting from scratch, it seems like. They're going to be a completely different team, um, by next year, um, Oh, I forgot to mention that Kevin LeBlanc, uh, Timo Meyer, Dylan Gambrell, and Joe Kim Ryan are all RFAs. So those are the bigger RFAs there. Um, the thing that's... Uh, so yeah, this is going to be like a completely different Sharks team. Uh, I do have to ask though, because I think this is their last year where... Obviously this is the last year that San Jose is... Um, is going to be on this in this window. I feel like their window is closed, but at the same time, they still have players to work with. So it's it's not really closed. It's still open. Um, it's just I don't know if like Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski are going to be a part of that team necessarily that wins the cup if they are to win it. Um, but I think there is going to be a changing of the guard, sort of, so to speak, uh, this offseason. Yeah, so going back to where Doug Wilson has to ask himself who he can afford to keep, Gustav Nyquist is as good as gone. Mm-hmm. Like, Gustav Nyquist is a guy that didn't really light it up in the playoffs. He can put up decent regular season numbers, but he's probably going to ask close to $5 million per year. I think he's gone. Um, guys like Jonas Donskoy, guys like uh, Michael Haley could be expendable if they spend big. Um, Joe Pavelski is one name that could be getting upwards of $7 million per year, Carlson being the other. Um, like I said, Thornton taking a hometown discount isn't out of the realm of possibility to try and keep the band together. He sounds like a team guy. He's made a lot of money in the NHL already. But even if he takes a hometown discount, I don't think that's going to be enough because you look at Timo Meyer, who had 30 goals and 66 points this year. He's an RFA that's probably going to get what Nyquist is looking for, four to five million bucks on his next deal per year. 
Uh, someone like Kevin LeBanc, 56 points during the regular season, 16-point upgrade from the previous year, also a career high. Also likely getting three to four million per year, maybe more than that a year. Um, after next year, uh, Brendan Dillon and Justin Braun are going to be unrestricted free agents. So right. you're going to have to pay them. And if you want to look down the road in three years' time, Thomas Hurdle, he had 35 goals and 74 points in 77 games this year, almost a point per game player. Yeah. Monster for him. If he continues to go up there, they're going to have to pay him more than what they're paying him right now. And they're paying him between five and six million right now. Right. And if you want to look further down the road, Vlasic, Kane, Couture, Burns, Jones, all locked up for at least the next five to six years, maybe longer. All of them getting paid upwards of $5.75 million per year. So my opinion in a nutshell is the San Jose Sharks can keep Eric Carlson. The okay. San Jose Sharks can keep Joe Pavelski. But they can't keep them both. Oh. I think there is also risk of signing one of the two. Because when you look at Pavelski... He is the heart and soul of the Sharks franchise. We saw how they responded in that Game 7 victory over Vegas when Pavelski went down. We saw how the team responded. He's beloved and respected in that locker room. Yeah. But he is also 34. He might have injury concerns down the road. His goal scoring was below 30 in the last two years before this one. He got 38 goals this year. So there's risk to signing him. And like we said with Carlson earlier, he's arguably the best defenseman on the planet with that raw talent, even on one bum knee, he's got that raw talent to be a difference maker. But like you said, rough injury history the past couple of years, if you're going to pay him upwards of $10 million per year with this health, that's a major risk. So there's risk of signing Burn, uh, there, sorry, there's risk of signing Carlson, there's risk of signing Pavelski, but I think one of them is gonna stay and one of them's gonna go. I don't honestly think they can keep Pavelski and keep Carlson. It's just not possible. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I feel like Joe Pavelski may get a discount just because he is 34 and he's already had like his payday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I find it I'd find it really weird if Joe Pavelski's on another team, not the Sharks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just personally, just because it's like I associate Joe Pavelski with the Sharks so much. Um, he basically is like epitomizes the Sharks. Um, so it'd just be weird to me if he's no longer there. Um, I, I mean, I guess it, it is possible, obviously, but um, I just I just find it like strange that he could, you know, he's a free agent right now and he could not be on the Sharks. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. But what, so, so question, would you say, would you say that, um, uh, the Sharks' window is closed to Stanley, winning a Stanley Cup. It's open a crack, but then I think it's closed shut if they don't do anything next year. Okay. And and we've kept saying if it's closing, it's closing, it's closing. It might as well be closed. But we thought Washington's window was closed this, uh, a couple of years ago, and, and they won the Cup in 2018. We thought St. Louis... Um, was probably on the verge of a rebuild until they started getting hot at the right time. And now we look at them a whole new way. True. So maybe next year is the Sharks year, but honestly, like, like we've been saying they've been running out of time for a while. They're almost out of time now. And yeah, 
Um, I'm the eternal optimist that thinks, well, maybe maybe next year is their year. Maybe next year is their year. Um, I think for real, next year has has got to be their year. If 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 they're still in a position to contend, uh, I don't think everyone's going to expect them to win next mm-hmm. year. But I think realistically, if they have any shot of winning the Stanley Cup, it has to be next year. Yeah, I I guess. Yeah, maybe they have one more year, but it depends on really what they do this offseason. Exactly. Yeah. This offseason will tell us a lot. Yeah. Also, I should mention that Martin Jones, uh, they need to figure out this cold tending situation. Um, that was the main reason why they didn't even get farther than... Like, if they were able to get to Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals on, like, one of the worst goaltending duos of all time, like, imagine what they could do when they get if they get a good goalie. Um, in net, uh, it would be remarkable. Um, yeah, they, they, they almost didn't even make it out of the first round with the goaltending duo that they yeah. had. So they, they almost didn't even make it this far. So, right. And, and I didn't even expect them to make it this far because of their goaltending duo. So no question, True. they have to fix that. Um, that that's the that's like the bigger thing that they should address. Not like who who should they sign. Uh, but yeah, that should be the bigger the bigger mess that they should they should address. Um, and the good news is Martin Jones has shown signs in these playoffs that he can be capable of doing good things for this team. He just needs to show it consistently. If they stick with him, yeah. he needs to have a better season next year. I mean, he was decent the last couple of years, but like this year he was way – he was off. He, he had a sub-900 save percentage. It's, yeah, um, like he was – even... he was Brayden Holpe – he was he was um, a shell of Braden Holtby was like before he went on that role. True, true. Uh, the uh, let's go to the rapid fire here. Uh, we only have one thing on the rapid fire technically. Uh, we'll talk about DJ Smith in a bit, but I'm um, in the Bruins send segment. But um, the uh, the Islanders re-signed Brock Nelson. It's a six by six year deal. Um, I don't know. I like this move. I know, uh, he, uh, he kind of, uh, instigated that whole, uh, tapping, um, what was it? It was like, he tapped, uh, Mrazek on the, on the back of the head or something. Yeah, he tapped McElhaney on the head. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and then it was all over after that because the Hurricanes just got angry and started, uh, you know, uh, coming alive there, but um, but yeah, no, I think I like this deal. Uh, he, uh, he had a pretty good year actually. Um, so I would, I would say that, um, yeah, I, I'd be, okay. I, I, I like this deal and 6 million is a little bit of much, but, um, he, he's been roughly consistent, um, for most of this, uh, for most of his career. And he's not like too yeah. old or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, age hasn't been a total concern yet. Um, the way that this deal is structured is interesting. Um, you go year by year. He's got a two million bonus in year one, eight million total. Uh, five point two in year two, eight million year three, five point two year four, five point six year five, and then four million in the final year. Um, so just taking a look at at what he did previous years and and what he did this year 
Um, I think that all of this hinges, I think, well, I think a lot of deals hinge on, you know, you're paying this guy like you're expecting him to become this. Right. If he becomes exactly what you think he's going to become. So let's take a look at what he did in the previous years. So his first season with at least 20 goals and 40 points, he's done that four times in the last five years. So the first time he did that was 2014-15. Finished fifth in the on the team in shots with 190. Fifth in average time on ice per game amongst Islanders forwards. Also had 10 power play goals, which was second only to John Tavares. So we go to the next year, 2015-16. Second on the team with a career-high 26 goals. Only three of those were power play markers, so his even strength potential kind of showed more there. Um, down a bit in shots on goal to 165. So, like I said, slight downgrade, um, but still pretty good numbers. Um, he had 20 goals in 2016-17. Um, stat line wise, didn't change a whole lot that year. 2017-18. Uh, was arguably his worst season since his rookie campaign. That year, he finished seventh amongst Islanders for his average time on ice per game. Didn't get at least 20 goals or even 40 points, so he came close to, uh, to doing both. And as a result, his average ice time suffered. It was actually below 15 minutes a night. And then, Brock Harris needs, and everyone's thinking, oh boy, where are we going to get our offense from? And that's where Brock Nelson really stepped it up. One shot of his career high in goals this year. He had 25 this year. Um, he eclipsed the 50-point plateau for the first time in his career as an NHLer. Uh, finished third in Islanders scoring while doing so. 181 shots on goal this year were second with Barzell and Pulak not far behind. Uh, his average ice time went from not even 15 minutes a night to 18 minutes per contest. So um, he his average time on ice went up by three minutes right there. Uh, highest time on ice average by any Islanders board as well in this year. So on all standards, that's a career season. What makes this season stat line so impressive is the talent he plays alongside with. When you look at a guy like Matt Barzell, he was playing with Beauvillier and Eberle, sometimes Andrews Lee. A pace dictator like him played with Vlad and Eberle the season before. Matt Barzell would have a knack of making things happen with his speed, with his skill, with his playmaking abilities. But after an 85-point year in Tavares' final stint with the club, he went from 38 points in the first 40 games this year, Matt Barzell, to 24 points in the final 42 games. When you look at Brock Nelson's stats quarter by quarter this year, they're pretty consistent. He had 9 goals and 15 points in 19 games in the first quarter. Four goals, 11 points, 21 games in the second quarter. Six goals, 15 points, 21 games in the third quarter. Six goals, 12 points, 21 games in the fourth quarter. So he, those are consistently consistent. Like, it's not like, oh, hot start, and then, oh, it's rough finish. But right. he was consistent through and through the season. Um, he's also a center, so part of the reason why he didn't play on Tavares' line. And same thing with Matt Barzell, because he's also a center. Uh, Brock Nelson got the top line minutes with Bailey and Lee this year. So my hope is now that he knows how to play good defense under Barry Trotz's system. Just like everyone else, my guess is the goal this offseason is to work on the offensive side of the game. And Nelson needs to do that or else this deal is going to flop pretty badly. 
because when you look at uh, when you look at the contracts for Fords with an average annual value of six million next year, there's a lot of awful ones. There's Lucic, there's Bacchus, there's Erickson, there's Brandon Saad, to a lesser extent Kyle Poso, Jordan Stahl. You have some uh, all right signings that maybe could turn out as planned, like Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Turris, RNH, and Edmonton. Then you have guys like Taylor Hall and Jake Ensel being a cut above of the competition. One of the guys that I think Brock Nelson is a lot like is Philip Forsberg. Like, Philip Forsberg is a streaky player. Brock Nelson is a bit of a streaky player. Um, I think the Islanders are going to have a tough situation on their hands because they decided to give Brock Nelson a no trade for years one and two, and then a modified no trade for the rest of the deal, years three, four, five, and six. Because if if he's not living up to his expectations, if he's not living up to the money you're giving him, that's further handcuffing your ability to trade him and get good value for him if he doesn't do well. I think if he can be a guy who consistently scores 30 goals and 60 points, this deal's worth it. Yeah. But if this is the best we're ever gonna see from him and he's not a top six threat, this hurts. This hurts the Islanders because it's going to hurt their salary cap. As you resign guys like Matt Barzell, as you guy, as you maybe resign guys like Andrews Lee for major dollars, when you start to get good, when you start to get better than you were this year, when everyone expects you to do good things, if this contract doesn't hold up, it could really set you back a step or two because it's stopping you from getting better. So th- this is honestly a 50-50 deal where I don't know if it's a win for the Islanders or I don't know if it's a loss for them either. It's it, it's 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 right in the middle for me. Yeah, that's, that's a fair analysis there. Uh, thanks for all that. Um, <laughs> I was just looking at his stats here. This is his first year, as you mentioned, he, this is his first year that he had uh, oh, he reached the 50 point plateau, 53 points um, in 82 games. Uh, but like he, he usually gets around 40 or last year he had 35. Um, but like it's it's interesting too because I was looking here. Um, this was the first year where he had 17 minutes. Like this was the most ice time that he's had, uh, uh, in his career as opposed to the last couple of, uh, years. Um, so he was able to make like a huge jump in, uh, in points. Um, even, and he had like about three more minutes on ice, um, on average. So, uh, so maybe there is something to that. If you give him more ice time, he is more likely to be deployed differently. So maybe there is something to that where, uh, maybe if he can continue to get 50 points, um, even 60 points. And I think this, this, uh, contract is worth it. Um, otherwise it's just one of those things where you just have to see, um, quickly here, uh, Finland uh, is playing Canada for world gold right now. When when this comes out, you'll know who who won. I did want to say that Capo Caco has been really good. Um, obviously, he's going to get a gold or uh, silver um, today, but he's had to date he's had thirty four. Uh, so this is including his uh, time in the Finland league. 
Finnish league, uh, Liga. Um, he has the under 18 Liga goal record. He also, you know, Finland also won the World Juniors. Um, he was a part of that team. He has 34 goals, 29 assists, 63 points in 85 games. That's almost exclusively at the men's professional level. This is from Cam Robinson, who uh, uh, who analyzes. He's like a scout, basically, for uh, Dauber Hockey, um, which is uh, he has one more final game to to count his stats. But 63 points in 85 games. That's really good. Um, as opposed to uh, Jack, Jack Hughes, who has 132 points in 68 total games um, and has had a little bit more um, hardware to go there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Canada and Finland are playing. I assume they're playing now, right? Um, we'll see. Um, uh, yeah, I believe uh, in our time zone, both our time zones are the same. They started yep. at one thirty, and it's now 2.03 p.m. So, yeah, they're in progress at the moment, yeah. or they should be anyway. Um, okay, well, we'll, uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll say who the winner is next week. Um, and then uh, this, we'll go to the Bruins Sens. We'll start with you because this is actually news. Um DJ Smith is hired. He was the uh, assistant coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he handled their penalty kill and their uh, some of their defensive assignments stuff. But the Sens have their coach. Uh, what do you think, Steve? Well, I, I liked how DJ Smith kind of prepared himself for this because he said on the coaching hire when the Leafs season ending, um, he kind of had an eye that maybe – a job interview with the Sens was on the horizon. So he started watching video. Um, and what he did is he took an entire analytics breakdown of the Sens from last season. So he picked some games from the start, picked some games from the middle of the season, picked some games from the end of the season. In total, he watched 20 of the 82 games played. So he, he goes on to say, eventually, if you're watching enough video, you're going to see the same things happen over and over. And those are the things that you want to correct. And he also adds that he's going to use every tool that's going to help the team win hockey games. So analytics, stats, stuff like that. He's going to, he's going to take in uh, stuff from all sides of the game uh, if it means that it helps the team win. And uh, he also said this on talking to young kids. Um, he says, the advantage I have is that I have a 15-year-old son who plays hockey. He knows all. Dad knows nothing. So... I get what it's like just to try to talk to him. And he goes on to say that one of the things that he's going to bring is trust, accountability being another. He says he's going to be the most positive person that the Sens have seen in a long time. And he goes on to say that every day in the NHL is a very good day. So I, I like his mindset. I like his preparation. Um, I, I think overall the resume kind of speaks for itself. In the short time that he's been a coach, he um, was a part of the Windsor Spitfires as an associate coach with Bob Bugner, witnessed some success over there, uh, then turned into a head coach with the Oshawa Generals, uh, led them to a Memorial Cup title in 2015, served as Babcock's assistant in the four, four years after that, and now he gets three years in Ottawa to prove himself that he's ready to coach an NHL roster. And I have mentioned this time and time again, and more recently in last week's episode, 
the Sens need a coach that can develop young players. They need a guy that communicates, speaks their language, someone that can motivate them, someone that can force them to be better, but to also be a friend. And they need a coach, most importantly, that can defend. And when you look at the when you look at the team that Ottawa has, when you look at their defense, that's not going to happen overnight. But as a team to play offensively and defensively, to back check, to forecheck, you you need guys that can do all of that. And the climate for winning hasn't been in Ottawa for a couple of years now. The good news is that all the unknowns have disappeared. We now know what to expect. There's no more questions about who's hitting free agency or who's getting traded. The worst, in theory, is over. And now you need to have someone that can hype everyone up on what it's on what it's like to be an Ottawa Senator, what's in front of them, what will come later. I wouldn't call DJ Smith a slam dunk hire. Certainly a much better candidate than Patrick Waugh. I thought Jacques Martin maybe was the safer hire because we've seen what he's done in Ottawa. We've seen how he was able to coach that young team to deliver so much success to get them to become a playoff regular every single year they make the playoffs for a good while it seemed under his watch um i think maybe this guy could do what Jacques martin was able to do he i think he could develop the youngsters but give a more modern twist that's more um that, that's more accustomed to today's NHL game. And I think maybe that's why Jacques Martin didn't get the job. Maybe the more modern day hire is DJ Smith and not someone that was able to coach a lot of young guys 20 years ago and make them into NHL studs to make them into playoff regulars. And when you got a guy like Sheldon Keefe, who's probably the best coach at his position at his ranks, saying... DJ Smith is the is the toughest coach I've ever coached against in the OHL, and he pushed me to be better. Mm-hmm. That 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 says a lot to me right there. Yeah. When when you get that kind of respect from your peers, um, I don't think it guarantees. That being said, that DJ Smith is going to be a, a top ten coach in this league in three or five years, but I I think it's given me more optimism as a Sens fan than I've had in at least a couple of months. It tells me that something is there that after hiring five coaches in the last six years maybe just maybe this time they've finally gotten it right and maybe this is a step in the right direction for a senator's team that from now on needs to be making strides they can't afford any steps back they just need to keep moving forward from here on out and hopefully dj smith's the guy uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how this goes. I, I guess I'm always interested when like coaches get their first chance as, on the NHL gig, so I'll be curious to see it. Um, I am kind of, just from looking on Twitter and all that stuff, it seems like all these Leafs fans hated him uh, just for how uh, he uh, handled their penalty kill and their defensive mm-hmm. situations. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. It's also kind of interesting because Melnick said a couple months ago how like because he, <laughs> yeah. he was criticizing Toronto about uh, their defense and uh, that's not how you build a rebuild um, but it's like then you hire the guy who's in charge of their defense so that's that's 
that's the only concern I have is that DJ Smith is like, you know, because Toronto Maple Leafs defense wasn't good. Um, so that's where I'm like kind of concerned for you um, is that I'm not sure if there's that. But then you just mentioned like, you know, obviously it's better than Patrick Waugh. Um, and, you, you know, you never know really with with coaches who've never played, who've never coached in the NHL until it happens. So. Like we didn't, See, you know. The the other thing with DJ Smith's track record is that it's so small, you don't know if it's true. a case of oh, this guy can't get more with less. Like, right. He's not a very trots that can turn around a team single handedly like true. in a year or two. We we don't know about that. Maybe it's just the fact that Toronto's defense just wasn't good enough. Right. You know, maybe that's it. And and that's possible. I I will say Toronto's defense is better than Ottawa's, but how much better right. is Toronto's defense? Like, no, that's a good point. At, at least in terms of like, you know, defense is really good. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. It's not like Toronto's defense was the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever. But yeah, exactly. Uh, but still, at the same point, you know, you would think that they could still, um, you know, figure it out or something. But um, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. This this is still a gamble. Right. And Pierre Dorian will easily lose his job over this if this gamble doesn't work out. Right. Like, he's running out of time here. But, at the same time, I think Patrick Waugh would have been the biggest gamble and the one that came with the most risk. Yeah, no, of course. I, I mean, yeah, no, I didn't want to say, like, you guys should have hired Patrick Waugh instead or whatever. But, um, and you also, like, there is, a, like, another point to it. Like, we all didn't think that Rob Brindamore was going to be a good coach. Uh, Bruce Cassidy had his moments um, in Washington. He was one of the worst coaches um, in that franchise. Um, and then, you know, and then he comes to Boston and he's he's actually decent. Um, but, like, he still had that stigma and stuff. So it's like, you know, you don't really know how good an NHL coach is until you give them the reins. Um, and, of course, there's going to be risk involved, but it's, it's going to be something. So... Mike Sullivan is another name, too. Mike Sullivan, yeah. I'm sure there's like a couple of them. Although Mike Sullivan didn't have a bad time in Boston when he was there. He just, I guess it was just the lockout or something. But, yeah, no, you're right. Um, that's that's true. There's, I'm sure there's other examples that, I'm, that we're all misplacing. Um, now, now uh, before we get to your Bruins, I will mention that uh, in response to this series of moves, uh, apparently the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, assistant coach Jim Hiller has been granted permission to explore other avenues. So with another potential coaching vacancy on the horizon, the Leafs have hired Paul McFarland to serve alongside Mike Babcock. And you're wondering, well, who the heck is Paul McFarland? Why should I care? He kind of operated the Florida Panthers power play, which was the second best in the NHL last oh, wow. year. So that'll be interesting. That would be interesting, yeah. Uh, the Bruins, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, we already talked about them on the first hour of the show, but uh, other things, uh, Jacob Forsbaka Carlson is going to be playing in the Swedish League. Um, however, he's still going to be pl- uh, next year. Um, he's still going to be on the Bruins contract. I think he said that he, um, he still wants to be in the NHL, but... I guess there's like a family matter, so that's why he's going to the Swedish league, um, and uh, that's what Sweet, uh, Sweeney was telling you know the media is that uh, JFK is you know we still expect we still see him as a part of the Bruins' future, um, which is 
encouraging. It is uh, a little bit frustrating because you know he's been in the he's been in the organization for a while now, but um, you know things happen and stuff like that. So um, you know this maybe this could be good for him. This is you know this is a professional league. Maybe he can develop that way as opposed to uh, being in the AHL for for so long. Um, so there's that. Also, uh, there was a scrimmage on Thursday um, that was open to the public. It, it, um, there was a full crowd, um, or it was like, you know, it sold out, um, which is impressive because it's a scrimmage. Um, I mean, of course, it's the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, people are very hyped in this town right now, but um, it's just it's impressive that people are willing to go to a scrimmage. Um, in personal news, I'm going to game two. I'm very excited. I never, uh, I didn't go get to go in 2011 or 2013, but uh, so this is going to be my first Stanley Cup final um, that I'm actually going to live, and I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, um, also, uh, yeah, I don't, I think that's it in terms of Bruins news. I also was. Uh, no, there, there was actually one more. There was uh, that. Diabetes on a plate. Oh, leashed. well, I didn't mention that, but yeah, there's a. <laughs> apparently, there's. A, I mean, it's it's loosely related to hockey. Um, the during these scrimmages, they they're selling these uh, things that are like donuts, but it's like a double cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna be the most. It's like one of the most sugary things or carbs that you ever had. Um, because it's, it's, it's one of those ridiculous items that you might find at a ballpark or a football stadium. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's in a, it's in a, I guess they're selling that here. I'll I'll get back to you guys if they if they're selling that. I'm not sure if I'm gonna. I'm trying to watch my weight and all that yeah, stuff. I'm wondering so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get it, but I will look be on the lookout to see if they have it or not. Um, but <laughs> they they are selling that in the stadium, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, also, uh, so I was just looking while you were talking about DJ Smith, the game just started for the Worlds. I was also finding that William Nylander led the uh, the tournament in points, um, which I thought was interesting because he didn't have, he had kind of a disappointing season, but he had 18 points in eight games um, uh, when, when Sweden was playing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, uh, when when we kind of recap uh, stuff next week, that's there are a lot of interesting names in the top ten scoring that really intrigue. Yeah, Neilander is definitely one of them. Especially like this guy I never even heard of, Dominic Kubelik. He yeah. he had twelve points in ten games, and he's a Czech guy. Um, and I never even heard. I don't even think he's in the league or signed by anyone. Um, so so that was interesting. Um, yeah, and the, and the good news for Vegas is that Nikita Gusev. Uh, yeah, Nikita Gusev had a good five. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that more next week, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, I'm Brett. Do oh wait, of course, uh, social media. <laughs> Lisa, I never understand why we actually do this late in the show because we should be doing this at the start of the show. Um. Yeah. But if you're if you're listening by now, you you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, yeah, you can even email us, laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff.
I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 174 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Enjoy the Stanley Cup Finals. Go Bruins and happy Memorial Day, everyone in America.